Good evening, everyone. Happy to see you here, happy to see you online. Uh, we have three lessons left. Um, tonight we are going to begin lesson 12 um, on administering grace. And we're gonna talk about kind of the, the topic is going to be kind of the, the, the church and the, the ministry that the Lord has instituted it to carry out. So before we begin, um, <clears throat> Introduction. There are literally hundreds of different Christian churches with which a person could affiliate. Um, and I just put a couple of them uh, up on the screen, different Christian churches. Put that line on there. Where's the CRC? The Christian yes. That's not your church, Peter. That's not, I got your church up there. I've got the PC USA. That doesn't count. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, and you know, that's just what, uh, 10 of them or so. I mean, there's, there's literally hundreds of different Christian churches that a person could affiliate with. And I'm not just talking about, you know, different churches in town. I mean, kind of different denominations. Um, the question is looking at kind of earthly visible churches, what are some factors or characteristics that people look at when they consider joining a Christian congregation? What are some things that your average person would consider, um, this is important for me before I join a church? Okay, yeah, <clears throat> most people are not gonna drive. In fact, I think uh, the average, um, this is interesting, definitely not true for our church, but I think the average um, that most Americans are willing to drive is somewhere between like seven and 12 minutes to get to church. That's about the average. Um, so when we are starting like new mission churches, um, that's kind of about the distance um, is we'll go double that, you know, um, 24 to 30 minutes from our next closest church because anything outside of that 12 to 15 minutes people are not going to drive to. You're out kind of outside the range of a church. Um, so proximity, yeah. Okay, what else? Music. Music, the, the style of worship, okay, which is interesting because that really is not a huge priority for most people, which is interesting when you think about it because I think most churches, especially in our church body, in our setting, think you know, if we're not growing, if we're not attracting young families, well, the first thing we need to do is change the music and the worship style. When the reality is that is not a high priority for, for people. It's something that, this is just the reality, it's something that older people assume younger people want. Um, and the reality is when you, when you ask younger people, it isn't really something that they're, it's not a huge priority for them. But it is, it's on the list. Okay, what else? Yeah, Mitzi said <clears throat> kind of uh, what they're gonna do with the kids, programs for kids, involvement for kids, activities for kids. Um, it probably is the number one question that people ask me when they first come to our church with little kids. They say, what can I do with my kids during church? Or they say, do you have something for my kids during church? Meaning children's church or you know um, somewhere for them to go. Um, and, and my answer to that is, yes, we have something for your kids. It's church. Um, 
you know, we, we want them to be there. It's intentional. Um, bring, you know, bring your kids to church. But yeah, that is program. And not just for kids. I think programs for all kinds of people, women's groups and men's groups and singles groups and elderly groups and millennial groups and, you know, um, young couples and 20 somethings, you're always kind of looking for that individualized personal, um, you know, group. I think that's, that's a, probably a priority for, for some people. Anything else? Friendship. Yeah, friendship. Um, uh, the, the top two things, you can look this up online, um, no matter how many times they do this study, no matter how many times um, they ask this question, the top five answers um, for what are people looking in a church are roughly unchanged over the last 20 to 30 years. They might change in different orders, um, but the top two specifically have not changed, never changed, probably will never change. Uh, number one is, can you guess what the number one thing people look for in a church? Like, what's the first thing they're kind of judging a church on? Okay, all right. <clears throat> um, teaching doctrine is not on the list. Um, that's not in the top five. What we're going to get to tonight is that's what you should be looking for, absolutely. Uh, but not important to most people. Number one is the preacher, the preaching. Um, you know, I want to listen to the preaching. Is, it, is he a good preacher? Is it engaging? Um, is it biblical, right, for some people? Um, and the second one, Peter just kind of mentioned friendship. The second one is the friendliness of the congregation. Do I feel welcome? Um, those are the top two, and I kind of envision those probably remaining that way. Um, Oh, the, uh, was that on the Apostle Paul's conversion? I think so, yeah. So anyway, you know, we could come up with a longer list, but you kind of see the idea, right? There's a number of different things that people are looking for and a number of different options out there. Here's what we're going to look at in this lesson. This lesson will present us with the concepts of the invisible church and visible churches. We will learn what makes a person a member of the invisible church or the Holy Christian Church, the, the broad understanding of church. And we'll talk more about that here at the beginning. And what factors a person should consider when considering to join a Christian congregation. We will also learn about the ministry of the church, what, what business a Christian congregation is to be about. And I kind of put that, that business should kind of be in quotations. I'm not talking about business, but really what is the, the Christian church um, supposed to be up to? What are they supposed to be doing? And who is supposed to carry out this work? All right, that's what we're going to look at. So first things first, the invisible church. In the Apostles' Creed, the third article, um, we confess, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church. It's the very next thing we confess uh, faith in, believe in, trust in, that this thing exists next to the Holy Spirit. Um, some of you might remember if, if uh, <clears throat> you grew up previous decades, um, the Holy Catholic Church. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's just a hard thing for Lutherans to swallow. Yeah. And of course, that word Catholic is when, when we hear the word Catholic, right, as postmodern Americans, and probably postmodern anywhere in the world, you hear the word Catholic, 
you automatically assume Roman Catholic. And that's the problem, right? Um, when the reality is the Roman Catholic Church cannot, doesn't have a monopoly on the word Catholic. They can have a monopoly on the word Roman. Um, this is kind of where they're based out of. Uh, just like as, uh, you know, our, our church is a, is a part of the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. Um, I, I wouldn't say that we necessarily get to, get to monopolize the word evangelical. Somebody's already done that, right? We probably can't even monopolize the word Lutheran. Really, the only word we kind of have any control over is the word Wisconsin, which I think is the most worthless one to have in our title. But the point of it is, this is kind of where your church got its start, where it has its roots. And so the Roman Catholic Church has theirs in Rome, so they get the word Rome. But the word Catholic is a word that just simply means universal, right? Um, it's found everywhere. And so when we, we talk about the Holy Christian Church or the Holy Catholic Church, we are, we're not talking about a visible building. We're not talking about uh, that church over in that place. We're just simply talking about the fact that this universal worldwide church consisting of all Christians, which is, which is why it's fine to call it the Holy Christian Church, right? We're talking about all Christians. Um, <clears throat> we're talking that, that this church exists, okay? Now, why do we have to confess a faith that... In, in the fact that this is something that exists. In, nobody, it's not a matter of faith to say, I believe in Prince of Peace Lutheran Church. I believe that it exists. It doesn't require you any faith to, to, to believe that this church exists. You walk by, you drive by, you can walk inside, you can be a member of it. It doesn't take any faith to acknowledge that this place exists. What are we already implying? When we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, we're implying that this is something that is unseen. It is not something that can be pointed to or say, here are its boundaries or parameters, right? I understand and acknowledge that this thing exists by faith. I trust that it exists because God's word tells me it exists, okay? Um, and so we have there, the Holy Christian Church is not a specific church denomination, but an expression that describes all believers in Jesus Christ. What do the following uh, Bible verses tell us about the Holy Christian Church? Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, Paul writes, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> the word Lutheran is not in there. The word Wisconsin is not in there. The word Roman Catholic is not in there. The word Christian is not even in there. Um, but it, it, it acknowledges that there is this organization. There is this unity. There is this collective group of people who are sons of God, not by membership in a certain visible church, but purely by faith in Christ. Okay. Isaiah 55, we talked about this passage back in our lesson on the Bible, on the word of God, on, on, the, on the efficaciousness of the word of God, but listen to what else it says. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, 
and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So what is the purpose for which God sends out his word? To make Christians, right? It, it is that seed of the gospel that is implanted in the hearts of individuals. And by virtue of that faith, they are what? Sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. This is the purpose of the word of God. And so the point that we're making here is what? Where will this holy Christian church be found? Where will this invisible church exist? Wherever the word of God is cast. Wherever the word of God is preached, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, there will be believers. It may not be a large group of them. It may not be something that overtakes the Roman Empire. But there you will find Christians. Okay. Finally, then, we've been kind of touching uh, on this the whole time. It's not really talking about Christians, so to speak, but it just is a, a good reminder. First uh, Samuel 16, this is the, the story, the account, <coughs> excuse me, the account of the anointing of David as the second king of Israel. And you remember Samuel, the Lord tells him to go to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem, and he tells Jesse to line up all of his sons and brings them all there, and he looks at him from oldest to youngest. And, and he's looking at, well, this oldest, this guy, this is the one, he looks like a king, right? It's got to be him. He's the oldest, he's the most mature, he's probably the biggest. Um, God says, nope, not him. All right, well, maybe he's got a checkered past. The second one, maybe it's the second one. Uh, the Lord says, nope, not him, not him either. Goes through all of them. Um, and uh, the Lord says, nope, it's none of these. Samuel looks at Jesse and says, do you have any more sons? Apparently it's none of these. He said, well, we left the runt of the litter out tending sheep in, in the fields. We didn't even bother bringing him because there's really no redeeming qualities about him when it comes to being a king. And yet the Lord tells Jesse, uh, tells Samuel, that's the one. And here is what the Lord tells Samuel. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so if membership in this holy Christian church comes by faith in Christ. And faith is something that is only visible to God. Uh, then this is where we get this idea of the invisible church, right? Faith in Jesus Christ, faith in the true triune God is what makes someone truly a Christian. And if that is the case, then only the Lord genuinely knows all of those who are members of this church. Now, we're going to get into it in our next lesson. Okay, um, and this is oftentimes a, um, an accusation lobbied against Lutherans um, with our emphasis on salvation by grace through faith alone. People would say, well, then you, you know, you, you don't, you don't value good works, if, uh, if all that is required to be saved is faith in Christ, well, then, then no one will ever do any good works. Um, and we're going to talk about that in our next lesson. And the short answer and reply to that is simply, you don't understand what true faith is then. 
Um, because as James says, true faith or faith without works is not faith. There is no such thing as true genuine faith without works, right? There will always be good works where faith is present, okay? So just as where the word of God is cast, there will be faith. And where there is faith, there will be good works. All of these things are connected, okay? So look at the summary down at the bottom of the page. The last verse above from 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, demonstrates why we sometimes call the Holy Christian Church the invisible church. Because faith in Jesus Christ makes a member of the Holy Christian Church, and because only God can look into someone's heart and see if faith is present, we refer to the Holy Christian Church as the invisible church, since we, as human beings, cannot look into someone's heart to absolutely know for certain that they have faith in Christ. Um, and what we're going to get into next is, um, okay, well then how, how can you and I determine whether or not someone is a Christian? What is the only thing that we are able to, to judge, so to speak? Well, it is their confession of faith, right? Um, I, 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 I can only listen to someone's yes and let it be yes and to no and let it be no. Anything beyond that. I, I don't have uh, the ability to do. So, um, you know, well, how can I preside over the, the funeral of, a, of, a, of an individual and say, this person's in heaven because I'm going based on their confession, right? On their confession of faith. Let's see. No, no. Um, I'm talking about, did I as a pastor or someone that I know and trust hear that individual say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? That's the, that's the bare minimum. That's all I'm looking for, right? Um, and so it's kind of one of those challenging situations you get into as a pastor when people ask you to do a funeral. Um, and that is typically the, the, the bare minimum that I'm looking for, right? Can I, can I stand in front of a group of people and say, um, I know this person confessed the Christian faith, whether it was in their dying words, whether it was through life as a member of this congregation um, or, or anything in between, you know, a lot of people will say, well, if you're not a member of my church, I'm not going to do your funeral. Uh, I'm not, that's, I disagree with that. Um, and I've gotten into a number of sizable arguments over that. Um, but for me, that is ultimately what I'm looking for. I, I, can I in good conscience say, um, I know what this person's confession of faith was. Yeah. No, I'm not looking for their testimony. I'm not looking for their conversion story. I'm not looking for any of those things. Um, I'm simply looking for, um, from everything that I can tell. And really the only thing that I can use to tell is, what this person confessed to believe um, and where that confession of faith lines up with a true saving faith in Jesus Christ, then yeah, I'll do the funeral. Um, yeah. All right, moving on then, and, and that's really important, right? Just to understand that because what we're gonna get into now is we're gonna get into kind of more the, the nitty gritty of denominational visible churches, right? The things that you should be looking for when it comes to 
joining an actual physical church building and ministry. But if you don't understand what we just went through, the invisible church, then it's going to be very easy for you to see and view the way that we operate as a congregation as extremely limited, narrow-minded, judgmental, um, because as we carry out ministry, we are going to have a number of parameters in place that says in order for us to be in full partnership and ministry, um, we're going to need to see all of these things, namely our confession of faith is, is, is going to need to go beyond just who do you think Jesus is, right? But just because we have those requirements for carrying out physical, visible ministry does not mean that if I am telling you I'm not going to invite uh, the the Episcopalian church down the road, I'm not going to invite their priest to come and preach on Sunday morning. I'm not saying that that man's not a Christian. I'm not saying that the people of that congregation are not going to heaven. I'm not saying any of that because I wholeheartedly believe and confess every Sunday with you in the Holy Christian church that all of those who have saving faith in Christ, I will see and share all things within heaven. But right here and right now on this side of heaven, um, I'm not going to invite someone to come in who teaches and preaches a different uh, confession of faith in other matters, right? It, it, wouldn't, make, <laughs> it wouldn't make any sense. Like, for example, um, um, I, I've, I've had invitations from various Christian churches, uh, uh, Christian schools in the area, non-denominational schools that have asked me to come in and preach for a chapel. You want to be part of the chapel rotation. And at first I was like, well, yeah, that'd be a great way to meet some people in the community and whatnot. But at the end of the day, um, I realize and understand there are things that I'm going to want to preach that they're not going to agree with. And so I'm not going to do that to them just to puff up my chest and say, well, it's my podium, it's my opportunity. So sit back and listen to some good Lutheran doctrine. It's not their confession. So I'm not going to weasel my way into something and preach about how baptism saves or how the uh, Holy Communion is the true body and blood of Christ um, or, or talk about infant baptism. Like, I'm not going to do those things because I realize it's not their confession and vice versa, right? Um, I'm not going to invite someone who, when that is their confession, um, I'm not going to invite someone here and tell them, well, you can't teach this, this, and this, right? If I have to put parameters on it, we're, we're not going to be swapping pulpits, okay? Uh, I want to see if he's going to pull that off. And uh, they swapped. Uh, I got to see both sides of it. I I just sat through the whole thing and I'm so worn out my neck. Cause I, no. how, how can that even be done? I don't know. That is interesting. Yes. Um, the Roman, Roman Catholic Church is usually pretty, pretty strict on those things. But I think it's, you know, it's a... Um, 
Pope Francis is a little softer, gentler, you know, laid back, I guess, in, in those regards. But um, I love to the priest and the bishop or Rabbi. Yeah. Just friends. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, <clears throat> Remember the Roman Catholic priest said, "You know, uh, I know you. I'm coming at it from the from the Jesus um, side of the house, and uh, you know, but they, it's well, we'll listen." Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of things are done today in kind of the name of ecumenism. Yeah, that was. Um, yeah, and it's you know, um, it, it's a it's a word that can be used. Um, Properly, and there can be benefits to it from time to time. But really, I think at the end of the day, it does. What does it do? It just it kind of whitewashes the difference differences in confession, um, and it really, I think, kind of goes along with our American approach to religion in general, which is much more of a subjective truth than an objective truth. And what I mean by that is, as long as you're sincere in your faith. It doesn't really matter what the object of your faith is. It's more of this, the subjective sincerity of it than it is the actual thing, which, of course, the Bible says it's the exact opposite, right? It's the object of your faith that matters. The strength or weakness of your faith doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah. So I, I only bring that up just to simply say, right, if, 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 understand when we mean the visible church what we're talking about here is here are all the people who are going to be in heaven and i'll have a slide later on that i'll kind of show you the picture of what i mean by that right um that the people in heaven are going to come from any number of christian denominations and even people who never darkened the the door of a church right it is just simply based on true saving faith in jesus christ um, it's it's John three sixteen at its core. Whoever believes um, in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Uh, but kind of the overreaction to that then would be, okay, well, if all that matters then is faith in Christ, well, then anybody who you know has the word Christian in their title, or anybody who thinks that Jesus was a pretty good guy, well, then that'll do. And it's like, no, there's 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 a whole lot more to the Bible than 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 just that, right? And all of those things matter, right? We'll see that. So um, preference for, uh, we looked at, this is just kind of an answer to the, the question that we, we asked at the beginning. What are some things that people might prefer when it comes to their visible church? Um, maybe they, they want a small or a large church, styles of music, forms of worship, programs offered, age and interests of members, pastor, personality, age, preaching style, and so on. Top of page 84, these may be common reasons why people join a congregation, but the most important factor, really the only factor that matters is given to us in the word of God. Think of it this way. Imagine that you've been working outside for a few hours on a hot summer afternoon. You've worked up quite a thirst and nothing sounds better than a nice cold glass of water. You walk in the kitchen. Someone has poured two glasses of water. One is a pure, almost clear glass of water. The other appears to have some dirt or residue floating in the glass. Which glass of water will you choose to quench your thirst? Um, 
Yeah, the, they will both do the job to a degree, right? Um, and, and I think the point of it is just to simply say, um, we, we want to do our best to find a local congregation that is going to teach the truth of God's word um, as best as it possibly can. Um, just as we want the cleanest water going into our bodies, we also want the purest nourishment refreshing our souls. The message that is confessed and proclaimed in a Christian congregation is going to be the main source of spiritual nourishment for your faith. And if that source of nourishment is anything less than faithful to the word of God, we may be feeding our souls spiritual junk food. Again, can you, can you survive on junk food? Yeah, um, just might not necessarily be very healthy. Um, that's why it's so important to test every church and every denomination of which we are a part. We want our souls to receive the best spiritual nourishment possible. We want our souls to benefit from our spiritual intake, not to be harmed by what we consume. And we also want to encourage others to receive the best nourishment possible for their souls. Um, so again, this is just kind of a response to what we just looked at in the invisible church. Okay, well then as long as it's Christian, it really doesn't matter what church I join. No, it really does. Um, and this is why, again, I, I've mentioned this, right? But this is the purpose for which uh, one of the, the, the purposes for which I teach this class. It's to give every person an opportunity who wants to become a member of this congregation. I'm only doing right by you if I give you the opportunity to test this church, to test this pastor. Um, it would be very easy, probably, at least on a good Sunday, to come in and say, the, the preacher preaches a good sermon. They're, they're very friendly people. Sign me up. Well, hold on. Right? There's more that you need to know and should know before you make that decision. Okay. So when we look at a couple of passages here, um, what do these verses suggest is the main reason for affiliating with a Christian congregation? John writes, dear friends, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And what does he mean by spirit? Well, he tells us in the last phrase, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is what I'm talking about, right? Um, you should test me before you become a member of this congregation. And then you should keep testing me every time I preach and every time I teach, um, because this is what God calls us to do. Um, and, and what does it mean to test the spirits? It means to take the message that is preached and, and proclaimed and taught here at Prince of Peace and to line it up with the word of God. That if it lines up with the word of God, then you will want to be a part of that congregation. If it doesn't, then you shouldn't. Um, and you wouldn't want to be a member of this congregation. John 8, verse 31, Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And I like that word again, because... Jesus, you know, what teaching is he talking about? The Trinity, that he is the Christ, all of it. Jesus taught a whole bunch of stuff, right? He taught about uh, heaven and hell and death and money um, and uh, idolatry and false worship and piety. 
um, and, and loving your neighbor. Um, there, there's, there's a number of things. And Jesus says, I want you to follow all of it. So much so that he just summarizes it in the singular teaching. Right? It'd be interesting if Jesus had said, if you follow my specific teachings, as I referenced, you know, in my Sermon on the Mount. Okay, well, well and that would be the benchmark. That would be the, the barometer for what is Jesus expecting us to kind of hold together as Christians making a common confession. But Jesus says teaching, right? All of it matters. In Matthew 28, uh, we've looked at this in a couple different contexts. Uh, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, there it is, everything I have commanded you. Finally, then Romans 16, some of the final words Paul writes, I urge you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Um, which obviously <clears throat> creates a problem when the number one thing that people are looking for in a church is the preacher. Well, there are probably a couple thousand preachers, um, maybe just in the state of California, but no doubt in the United States, who are better preachers than I am. That's not a, that's not a difficult thing to do, in my opinion. <laughs> but, but the point of it here is to say, don't just listen to the style. Don't just listen to the ability. Listen to the message. Um, I and you to Joel Osteen to forget it. <laughs> so uh, don't don't degrade yourself. I, I yeah, I'm going to stop before I say words I shouldn't. Um, Joel Osteen is not a preacher. No, um, he's not even. The, no, yeah. So he's got a good following. He does. Um, and I think this is kind of the point, right? It really is not all that difficult to create a large following today. Um, all you need to do is go on YouTube or go on Instagram or go on Twitter and look up who has the most subscribers and followers. The things and the people that, that the world are willing to follow and, and um, you know, take their message as gospel is, is pretty humiliating, right? Um, so it has to be more than that. It has to be more than just the the ability to be a smooth talker um it's got to be something it's got to be a message that is in line with the word of god so bottom of the page here's the summary a church's confession what it believes and teaches is the primary reason why we affiliate ourselves with the church the bible instructs us to test a church's teaching that's what john's getting at when he says test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Test a pastor's theology. Test a church's confession um, and see if it matches up with the word of God. If it does, we'll naturally want to affiliate with that group of believers and support its ministry because the church stands for the same teachings as the Bible proclaims. If it doesn't, the Bible then calls us to avoid ministry partnership in order to preserve the pure gospel message. This concept is usually referred to as church fellowship. And this is one of those things, you know, it's really kind of interesting when, when people get upset, you know, if we won't, if we won't do, 
you know, ministry things with them. Um, and it's one of those things where I, I just kind of want to say, you know, but, but we, we, we believe and teach so many different things. Like how could you wanting to do a, a ministry endeavor with me and my congregation, knowing that we teach and preach and believe things that you know or believe to be heresy, why would you want to do those things with us? Um, and, and what does that say about your confession? What does that say about your reliability on the word of God? Um, so I, I, I try and get that across to people that I, I, I don't, if you were to look at us and say, well, I don't, I don't want that pastor coming in and preaching in our church. I, I go good. Like I'm, I'm thankful that at least you recognize we are preaching a different message when it comes to a number of the matters and doctrines of scripture. And if you don't think that those are in line with the Bible, then you shouldn't be inviting me, right? But for whatever reason, um, it's usually we're just the bad guys. Oh, yeah. Does she have a big following? You know? I think so. Yeah, but I was shocked when you said it. I thought I better examine that. <laughs> I think she, right. I think she used to be Lutheran. I really do. I think that's true. You know what he said. Sure. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, what to do? Top of page eighty-five. Um, what do the verses suggest that Christians should do when they are confronted with other Christians who hold to some teachings of scripture, but also hold to other non-scriptural teachings? A couple of passages, Jude 22. Um, be merciful to those who doubt, snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy mixed with fear hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Now, that's really kind of cryptic out of context of the rest of the book. But the whole book of Jude is just kind of a series of bulleted points, disconnected statements. Um, but can you kind of catch the gist here? What is the encouragement that's being made? I think kind of, kind of two things. What do we start with when we encounter people who maybe have a different confession, but want to do ministry things together? Or what about if we have a member of congregation, for example, who says, you know, pastor, I'm, I'm not so sure about creation. What do we do? Do we just say, well, excommunicated, you're out of here. No, patience, patience right? We, we show mercy. We, we continue to instruct as long as people are willing to be instructed. We continue to engage with them in the word of God so long as there is that willingness to learn and submit to the word of God, even if the conclusion is, ah, I still don't know, right? I'm not, I'm not sure about this, but, but I, I'm willing to keep learning and growing and listening and studying until what? Yeah, un un until that confession is made clear no i do not agree with this i don't believe this is biblical i don't believe this is possible i don't believe this is whatever okay well then 
here's what needs to happen. You can't be a member of this church anymore. Why? Because your confession is a different confession than this church. And this isn't me telling you to hit the bricks. This is me acknowledging what you have made your confession to be, right? And so find a church that is going to line up with that confession. Um, and, and, you know, because if, you know, depending on, on who they are or who they're, who, you know, what their age is, um, I'm going to, I'm going to be teaching your kids that creation is history, right? Are you, are you okay with that? If you don't believe that it's true, I, I, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't be as a parent, right? I, I don't want people teaching my kids something that I don't think is right. Something that I don't think is true. So if this is no longer your confession, then um, maybe maybe you have to look for a church that's going to line up with that. Okay? Titus chapter 3 says, Warn a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. Sounds very unchristian. But what does Paul recognize with, with Titus? Remember the context, Right? There are going to be people, and there are, right? Almost every one of letters, at least his congregational epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians, Romans, all of those letters that were addressed to congregations, almost all of them had at least an individual, if not a group of people, that were coming in and trying to challenge the, the message of the gospel with what? Yeah right? Some form of work righteousness. Jesus is great. The gospel is good. Faith in Jesus is amazing. Don't doubt that. Don't reject him. However, it's not enough to save you. You also need to be circumcised. You also need to avoid unclean food. Um, you also need to observe the Sabbath. Um, you know, you also need to do what, what, whatever it might be, right? And so with those kinds of people in mind, Paul says, you know what? When you get a person like that, when you get a group of people like that, you warn them. You warn them and say, look, this is not the confession of this body of believers. Um, we are not going to teach that. We do not believe that. We do not believe that is in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You warn them a second time. And I don't think, kind of like we talked about this last time in Matthew 18, I don't think Paul is saying two strikes and they're out. Again, the point of it is, is sort of like in Jude. You be patient with them. But if this is something that is going to be a persistent error, if somebody is going to be insistent upon creating divisions in the, the visible local congregation, the time may come when you tell them, look, we can no longer do joint ministry together. We have a different confession. Okay. Um, so the, the paragraph there kind of summarizes this. On the one hand, we want to be patient with those who may not understand all that scripture has to say. If someone has doubts, is willing to study the scriptures further, and ultimately wants to hold to the Bible's teachings, we will work with that person lovingly and help them to gain a clear understanding of the Bible's truths. And I've brought this up before um, in other contexts, and I've, I've brought this up maybe even in this class, but if, if I were to give out a uh, hundred question test this Sunday on various matters of doctrine and biblical teachings. I am not so naive as to think 
that every single member of the congregation would get 100%, that we all would have the exact same thoughts and understandings on every single matter, doctrine, teaching of the Bible. I don't think that. So how is it then that, that we can claim as a congregation um, that we are unified in our confession? Well, because by becoming a member of this congregation, you have said, this is my confession. And so I, I, I don't know what, what uh, uh, exists in the mind and opinions um, of every single member of our congregation, but I know what their, their vocal confession is. And that is that I am going to submit my life and my faith and my family to the teaching and confession of this congregation. And so when, pe when, when people ask me, and we've had people who've gone through this class and they've said, you know, pastor, I, I struggle with this and with this. I'm, I'm not so convinced about these. Do I have to be 100% convinced on these before I become a member of Prince of Peace? And I say, no, you don't. Um, well, then what does it take? Are you willing to make the confession of this congregation your confession? Are you willing to stand in front of this congregation and say, this is my confession? If you're willing to make that confession, then I'll take it as your willingness to do this, to continue to learn and study and be shaped and guided and molded by the word of God. Um, and so this is why everybody who's been a member of our congregation has stood up in front whether, whether we call it confirmation, whether we call it new member welcome, whatever it is, the point of it is to say, the people of this congregation deserve to hear your confession. Um, just as you are going to deserve to hear the confession of those who come behind you. Um, and so every single person, even people who've told me, well, I don't like getting up in front of people. I understand that. I don't care. This is not like a, a public versus a private baptism. Um, this is a public profession of faith, and it matters um, because that's the only thing that 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 I can judge you by. And, and I don't mean judge in a judgy McJudgerson way. I mean judge in sense of is this person in line with this congregation? Is this person willing to to be a part of this physical local church? Support it with its offerings and prayers. Um, and support the, the proclamation of the gospel from this place. And I need to hear that too, as your pastor. And so do your fellow brothers and sisters. Um, so the, the picture that I have here is one that I, I think is helpful for me. Um, the, the yellow uh, circle in the middle, the church, there we're talking about, I believe in the Holy Christian Church. The yellow circles, these are all of the people who are going to heaven, all right? Um, you see they've got the, the red heart in their, in their chesticles, right? That's kind of meant to be a, uh, you know, like a, a picture of saving faith in Jesus. Um, and, and what churches, what visible churches will those people be a part of, right? Um, they will be a part of the Roman Catholic visible church. They will be a part of Reformed visible churches. They will be a part of Lutheran visible churches. They will be a part of uh, Methodist and Baptist visible churches. I, I could have added on 
all of those those uh, those those logos that we saw in the very first lesson. And then you notice there's somebody there who's not a member of any visible church, right? Um, but maybe it was a um, you know and an, a friend of a Christian, and they shared their faith and they believed it, and yet never got a chance to 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 go to church, never got a chance, never became an actual member. Um, but you'll also notice, just as maybe eye-opening and concerning is, just because you are a member of a visible church does not mean here is your ticket into heaven. There are going to be people in these churches who do not actually believe their own confession. That's just the reality, right? Um, that, that's the human nature of, of things. Um, and so, you know, it don't, this isn't to scale. It, 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 it isn't that, you know, the... let my Roman Catholic friends see. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it isn't to scale, meaning there's going to be as many Lutherans as, as Roman Catholics, and there's going to be less Reformed than, than Lutherans. No, that, that's not the point. I bet um, 90% of them were Oh, yeah. Good grief. Get over it. Um, no, but the point of it is just simply to say this, right? That when we talk about membership in a visible church, we are not talking about, well, because you're a card-carrying member of Prince of Peace Lutheran Church, you're good to go, right? Here's your membership card. You show that to St. Peter at the pearly gate, and you're in, right? Nope. Um, because the Holy Christian Church, you can only become a member of that by faith in Jesus Christ means that it is invisible, means that it is unseen, means that it is universal. But what will true believers in Jesus Christ naturally want to do? They will want to find a visible representation of that church that is going to feed them the spiritual goods that are going to strengthen their faith and comfort them in their weaknesses so that they can remain in the Holy Christian church. Right. Um, and so that's what the vast majority of people are going to do. Right. Um, I, I think it's probably going to be a, a small minority of people. Um, this is just my opinion, I have nothing to base this on, but I think the, the small minority of people, and I think that is kind of represented on the picture, the small minority of people in heaven who never, never went to or belonged to a visible church. Um, and I think probably a lot of those are going to be probably more so from like ancient, uh, historic, early Christian periods where, you know, at if you were lucky, you were a part of a house church, right? Didn't have a name, didn't have a title, didn't have a denomination. Um, but I would still say you are a part of a family, a group, a body of believers, right? Um, so I think this this picture, this this kind of graph, so to speak, is is helpful to communicate that. So so again, I'm not saying that other denominations are not Christian. I'm not saying that if you're Roman Catholic or uh, Methodist or Baptist or Reformed, you're automatically going to hell because only Lutherans are going to heaven. I'm not saying that only. Um, you know, Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran synods are going to heaven. But that, because 
we believe in the invisible Holy Christian Church. That is a comforting thing, that there are going to be many more people outside of our Christian fellowship in heaven. However, that does not mean that here and now on this side of heaven, that simple faith in Jesus Christ is all that matters when it comes to making a confession. What do I, what do I confess to believe about the rest of Scripture? When the Bible teaches this, what is my confession of that? All of those things matter. Um, you know, so many Christians will talk about primary teachings and secondary teachings or tertiary doctrines. Um, and depending on, you know, all we got to do is agree on the primary ones. And I just kind of want to know, where do you get that from in Scripture? Where, where does Paul talk about the primary teachings of the Christian faith? Or where does Jesus say, here are the things I need you to agree on in order to be in fellowship? I understand and recognize that it makes us seem and appear to be very hard-lined, hard-nosed, rough around the edges, um, you know, narrow-minded, limiting to say, hey, it's all or nothing. I get that. But I don't know how you can end up anywhere else in Scripture. And the point that I'm constantly making to people is if the Bible was my book, these were my writings and my teachings, then you would have every reason to say, there are some I like and some I don't. Some I agree with and some I don't. But if we genuinely hold to the fact that this is the living and active word of God, then who has the right to say, these matter, these don't? And when it comes to uniting in full fellowship, when it comes to you know, making a confession, um, we have to say all of these matter. Um, so, some other uh, items... I've got secular organizations with religious elements on there. Um, just the point of this is, and I've got uh, some quotes in here from uh, the, uh, the, the Boy Scouts of America. That's just one example, but there's a number of others. Just to simply say, just because an organization is secular does not mean that it doesn't have religious tendencies. And so my encouragement to people is to say, when you are going to join an organization, if it is a secular organization, make sure that it really is secular. Um, and the example that I use when it comes to the Boy Scouts, for example, is right. Um, and the like the Masons is another that's just kind of a, a grown up version of the Boy Scouts, basically the same thing. What is required to become a Boy Scout or a Mason. It is to make a confession of faith. And what is that confession of faith? It is to confess faith in God. Now, who is that God? They will tell you it doesn't matter because we are not a denominational religious organization. We're purely secular. But we recognize, and I appreciate this about them, that they recognize in order to be a well-rounded citizen, there needs to be some sort of spiritual 
right? Recognition of your existence and your life. But think about it. If I were to sign my son up for the Boy Scouts on Tuesday night, he's going to start by, by making the, the Boy Scout oath and confessing in God and, 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 and acknowledging that who that God is, is really fluid. It's really subjective. You can have Yahweh or, 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 or Buddha or heavenly father or the Trinity or, you know, um, you know, Krishna, whatever, whatever you want that God to be, that's fine. But you have to acknowledge that there is a higher power or the, the Masons, the great architect of the universe. But then think about what is, what is my son going to confess when he comes here on Sunday morning? There is only one true God. And there is only salvation through faith in that one true God. Now, which is it? When push comes to shove, which, which confession is right? Right? A generic confession in a generic God? Or this very specific, very narrow, very pointed and directed confession in the one true God of the Bible? Right. So my point is just to say, be careful with those organizations like that, that are going to try and insert some sort of religious aspect to it, when really what it does is it sort of just destroys the specificity of the gospel of the of the individual's confession that he or she will make here on Sunday morning. It waters that down. Um, and I don't know why you'd want to do that. Okay. Um, so that's just one example. The last thing that I want to point out when it comes to this idea of fellowship is, is there something different to be said when it comes to public matters versus private matters? Does the setting that we are in lead us to follow a different action than we would in another circumstance? Um, and I think that the answer to that question is sometimes, right? Um, and, and this is kind of, I think, where you just have to kind of make a, a game time decision on your own as to how am I going to, to handle this? And here's what it comes down to. Like, for example, um, when, when I was growing up, no one else in my dad's family was Lutheran. They were all Baptist or Methodist. Um, and, and for whatever reason, our tradition was every Easter, the whole Bader side of the family got together Easter Sunday afternoon for Easter dinner. And the question always came up, well, who's going to pray? Um, and um, you would think it would be my dad, who was the only pastor in the house. Um, but the Baptist and the Methodist didn't want to listen, even if it was their nephew or their cousin. They didn't want to listen to the Lutheran minister pray. Um, and so um, they insisted that uh, was always one of my great uncles or one of my dad's cousins, you know, who would lead the prayer. Um, and in that private setting, what, what, what do we do? Um, well, we, 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 we stood there quietly. We were respectful of their prayer, but we did not give the impression that we were participating in this joint act of worship. We weren't going to acknowledge that the differences that uh, we have in our confession don't matter. Now, here's another example. Um, when when I go and visit people in, uh, I've done this, uh, you know, visit people in nursing homes or things like that. Um, there have been times when 
you know, uh, uh, an individual who's there, obviously I'm, I'm in my collar. They'll recognize that I am um, a pastor. Um, and I've had like, for example, um, Roman Catholics, I've had other kinds of Lutherans, other kinds of Christians who would say, pastor, will you come in to my room when you're done and give me a blessing or, or, or pray with me? Um, and, and my first question is always, do you have a pastor? Do you have a priest, someone who visits you? And usually if they're asking me to do this with them, the answer is no. Well, that is not an opportunity for me to go, well, sorry, you're not the right denomination. So I can't serve, I can't serve you with Jesus today. Right. Um, these are people who are just longing for the gospel. Right. Um, and so I'll go and do a devotion with them, go and, and meet with them. And for some of like the, the Missouri Synod Lutherans, even I, I'll commune them. Um, I'll ask them, you know, what, what do you believe uh, Holy Communion is? We'll kind of go through that whole thing. If they say, oh, I was a member at the Missouri City Church my whole life. And, you know, um, it's, it's rare, but it's happened where I've actually communed people because I know they're not getting it anyplace else. And I know what their confession is, right? So my point is to say, I'm, I'm not going to go to that Missouri Synod Church. I'm not going to go to that Roman Catholic Church on Sunday morning where I'm not going to take communion there. I'm not going to ask to swap pulpits with the pastor. I'm not going to ask them if we want to do some joint mission work over in Africa together, where we're teaching people, understanding and recognizing we're going to be teaching some different things. However, in a private setting, can that change the way that we operate and the way that we, we apply these principles? Yes. I would say that the, the kind of the, the, the passage that I always come back to is when you know, if we're talking about fellowship principles, this is when, when Jesus' disciples are chided for, for picking up uh, grain on the Sabbath. And Jesus' response is that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I would say that fellowship principles are made for man. And we follow them to the best of our ability um, with a desire to A, honor God, um, to follow his word but then also to love and serve people, right? Um, and sometimes the way that you apply that in a specific private situation is going to be different than the way that you apply it in a public setting where a public confession is made, okay? So I, I don't, you know, as opposed to the man, you know, being created for the, the, the fellowship principles, which is just, well, we're slave to these things. It's all black and white, come hell or high water. Here's what we have to do. Um, I, I don't think so. I think there has to be flexibility in the way that you apply the gospel um, to, to, to individuals. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Um, at the bottom of the page 85, um, yeah, I've kind of gone through some of those various Lutheran denominations in America. Um, you've got the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Um, that's the largest one, the ELCA, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, the LCMS, that we were in full fellowship with for the first hundred years of our existence. Uh, the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, that's us. And then the Evangelical Lutheran Synod, which we are still in full fellowship with. Um, uh, Minnesota. So the ELS is uh, uh, the Wisconsin Synod is primarily has kind of a German heritage. 
Um, the ELS has more of a Norwegian heritage and background. Um, so it's kind of where, where did the, where did the, uh, the immigrants settle? Um, and the Germans settled in kind of the Midwest, Milwaukee, right? Um, and the Norwegians, for whatever reason, like the colder weather of uh, Minnesota, went a little further, worked a little harder, maybe. So um, that's kind of the background there. So, so the has good, I think that's probably true for all of these, right? I mean, if I'm just being honest, um, I, I, I think that's probably true for for probably most any Christian denomination, right? Yeah, right. Um, and that's why I why I'm always telling people, don't just look at the sign on the church, right? Um, you owe it to yourself. You owe it to your family to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Um, and so, test the pastor. Sit down. Go through a class like this with him. Go to to you know worship at the church for a while get to know the people, um, all those kinds of things matter, right? Um, don't just say, oh, well, because this is a Lutheran church, regardless of what synod or denomination it is, it must be good. Um, I, I think I think in, in general terms, obviously, I'm a member of a specific synod because, um, right, that, that is my confession. Um, but I, I, there are pastors I know and churches I know, and there have been times when we've had people leave uh, our church and move into an area where there isn't a, a Wisconsin Synod church within 100 miles. Um, and I'll say, yeah, um, there's a Missouri Synod church right down the road from you. You know, um, go check it out. Right. Um, and uh, so I think that there are just those opportunities where, yeah, um, you have to just kind of do the work and your your spiritual well-being is worth it. Okay. Um, so we're going to stop there tonight, um, cause we, that's kind of like the first half of it, of this lesson is getting into the, the invisible, visible church next week, we'll get more specifically in kind of what is the church's mission and ministry. Um, and that'll take us to the end of the lesson. Okay. Uh, yes, we'll get into that. Yep. Well, we, we talked about it last time, the keys, but we'll look at that. Also, um, when it comes to the church exercising that in a public fashion, so I never heard it until I started the uh, two years with Pastor Bauer. Oh, okay. Keys were never mentioned. Sure. Again, I mean, they're just the words that Jesus. I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Read it, but never was focused on. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it really. Yeah. It, I mean, it's. It's a part of the small catechism so it's a big deal for us as lutherans right um it's one of the six chief parts of the small catechism so yeah we, we had 52 lord's days and i went through it all but not in there not in there yeah no, i got you see yeah okay all right everybody well um have a wonderful week and uh, i'll see you i am gone next week but i'll be back on thursday so we'll still have class okay all right. Good night, everyone.